This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 12, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. It's a new idea with lots of names, new paternalism, soft paternalism, even libertarian paternalism. Whatever you call it, the goal is to change our behavior for the better according to our own stated preferences. And that raises all sorts of issues and is explored in depth in the new edition of Cato Unbound. Managing editor of Cato Unbound, Jason Kuznicki, describes the debate. As the new paternalists would have us believe, what is the critical distinction between their kind of paternalism and old-fashioned paternalism? The new paternalism tries to give the consumer what he personally wants. So, for example, we all want to eat healthier. And a common way of doing this that new paternalists really like is to arrange the choices in a cafeteria so that the fruit comes first and you'll pick maybe an orange instead of a chocolate chip cookie. And uh, this has been scientifically demonstrated. You put the junk food up first and uh, people take it. You put the healthy food first, people take that instead. That's a good example of new paternalism in action. Okay. And that that wouldn't separate... um these people want from, say, a Whole Foods, where you walk into Whole Foods and and the design of the store, and John Mackey will tell you this, is to make that first section, the produce section, to be as vibrant and colorful and attractive uh, as it possibly can be. But there's no paternalism there, right? Well, there is a little bit of paternalism because if you want to make the unhealthy choice, you have to incur a cost. You have to wait a little bit longer to make your choice. So there's a tiny, tiny little bit of cost there. And new paternalists will tell you that the costs of any action will vary. Every action has some cost to it. And what they're doing is simply arranging the costs of action a little bit differently to match what you personally really want. All right. What you say you really want. Well, that's where things get interesting. Because it may not, in fact, be clear what people really want deep down inside. If people exhibit conflicting preferences over time or inconsistent preferences over time, which one is is right? Who's to say which one is right? And uh, sometimes in the literature, experts will say, we will decide that the preference for having a greater savings rate is the more legitimate one. It's the more socially useful one. It's the one that probably you'll thank yourself for having when you're 75 But uh, is that really your true preference? It's considerably harder to say than all that. In polling data, when people are asked to say things about themselves, um, we, all of us, tend to sort of idealize what we might think our choices might be. Of course. uh, In a way that were these choices actually put to us and the costs actually put to us, in many cases we would behave differently. Right, right. But what the new paternalists try to do is to uh, arrange the costs so that they will reflect those preferences, arrange the costs of a transaction. So for example, if you are uh, getting into a new job and there is a retirement plan, the default option should be that a portion of your savings goes immediately to the retirement plan. And if you don't want it to go, then you have to opt out. You have to go to an office, fill out a form, say, no, give me everything in every paycheck, and I don't want any part of the retirement plan. 
And studies have shown that this works. People will save more if they are defaulted into a plan rather than defaulted out of a plan. What is Glenn Whitman's argument? Well, Glenn Whitman's argument is that, first of all, it's very, very hard to tell what our true preferences are. And second, arranging the costs of an action or setting the costs of an action lends itself very naturally to a slippery slope. A lot of people say that slippery slope reasoning is a fallacy, yes, but that's not the case in all instances. For example, consider smoking bans. At first, you could smoke virtually anywhere you wanted, and then, well, now you're not allowed to smoke on an airplane. Okay, that's, that's reasonable. Then there were smoking bans in offices, and then there were smoking bans in bars, and now people are talking about smoking bans even in private homes, which is extraordinary. Where, where could one even go to smoke after that? This is an example of a slippery slope in actual fact. This actually happened, and uh, Whitman's argument is that the new paternalism lends itself very naturally to this. We're going to potentially, potentially move from benign, virtually costless moves to much, much more costly ones. In uh, recent weeks, for example, uh, New York State Assemblyman Felix Oritz proposed a ban on salt in restaurant cooking in New York State. Now, this would, in fact, make most of cooking as we know it impossible. Now, this doesn't seem all that closely related to uh, new paternalist proposals, which might appear very gentle or very, very kind to the consumer. Yet, Whitman asks us to remember that these other things are out there, too, and they exist on a continuum. If you want to talk about the cost of an action, well, those can be adjusted arbitrarily. Oritz proposes a $1,000 fine on every instance of the use of salt, which is a pretty extreme cost. You can cook at home. You could cook at home, but that would destroy an entire industry. Taxes behave this way, paternalistically in some ways. That is, people don't like us to uh, engage in certain behaviors on days of the week, so you don't can't buy liquor on Sundays in some places, and that may or may not have some impact on how much drinking gets done. But uh, they are overt. They are more clear. Uh, they're obvious to people who are presumably confronted with those decisions directly. That seems to be some difference there. That's true. There is, there is some difference here in that uh, one might not be aware of the default rules going into an engagement. So if you take a new job and your wages are uh, cut for a new paternalist savings program, you might not expect that. You might not uh, be ready for that transaction and not even realize that it's happening until some weeks have passed. That's a definite cost that is not necessarily apparent. What Whitman suggests is that instead of adopting a paternalistic rule for uh, the defaults in a transaction, why not respect what is customary or go with what most people's expectations are? in a transaction? Why not rely on the rules as they always have been, which are at least familiar, and that way people know what they're getting into? This is something that new paternalists seem very eager to abandon, and uh, it's not really apparent that it will be worth that type of a, of a switch in the future. People who will be responding to Glenn Whitman uh, this month at Cato Unbound, what are what are, what are some of the, what are some of the arguments that, that they're going to make? Well, we have uh, we have a really good lineup of 
response essayists. First of all, we have Richard Thaler, who is uh, the co-author with Cass Sunstein of the book Nudge, which is one of the key texts popularizing this uh, approach to policymaking and uh, has been very, very influential. Uh, We have Shane Frederick and Jonathan Click, both of whom are behavioral economists who have done a lot of work in this area in studying savings programs and uh, paternalist expectations and uh, how people bargain or react to different costs of different options as presented to them either in the lab or in actual practice. Jason Kuznicki is a research fellow at the Cato Institute and managing editor of Cato Unbound. You can read more at cato-unbound.org.